Finding Purpose, The Song of My Life, Episode 5, California Girl Goes to Europe, 1970. Welcome back, friends. You know, I was thinking about something I said in the introduction to my podcast, that sometimes our paths take an unexpected turn. Since I've been posting old pictures on Instagram and Facebook, I realized what an extreme change came about in my life in the late 60s. In one reel, I showed our church with hymn music, and then the very next reel showed my hippie room at home where I listened to Zen music, painted, and did yoga. In the last episode, I finished by talking about the opportunity that I had to follow my dreams. So let's see where that would take me next. Besides my plan to study photography, I also had something else on my mind. Just at the time the song California Dreamin' was going around the world, this California girl was dreaming about going off to Europe for the summer. I had soaked up the love, peace, and happiness message the rock and folk musicians were singing about. There was something especially captivating about those people from Britain, like the Beatles, Donovan, and Led Zeppelin, and I was curious to see where they came from. I kept thinking that I better take the chance now to go travel before college starts. The strange thing was, in the back of my mind, I could see myself staying in Europe. Even though I was enrolled in the photography school of my dreams, I didn't really feel attached to any particular friends or my life in California. I even had the thought that I would not likely marry an American. I guess you could call it following your heart, as the poets and philosophers of our day were proclaiming. As many young Americans, I thought of the European countries as romantic and quaint. It would be the ideal place to take pictures and have plenty of slides and negatives to use once I was at the school. The thought of seeing the originals of my favorite painters like Renoir and Monet was a goal in itself. After presenting this great idea to my dad, he actually was on board with it. He helped me make plans to travel with my sister Teresa and booked a round-trip flight for us in June of 1970 to London. This would take a toll on my savings, but he seemed okay with that. Through his work contacts, he knew a man who lived in London. He made a long-distance phone call and asked him if he could help set us up with a bed and breakfast in the city so that we would have a safe starting point. Our plan was first to see the sights in London, check out the fashion shops in Piccadilly Circus, and find the upcoming rock concerts. The first travel mistake we made was in bringing large suitcases that we could hardly carry. Growing up in California, we were only accustomed to traveling by car. After one trip on the underground, it was clear we needed backpacks. Besides clothes, I had my two cameras, the 35mm and the double reflex camera, complete with extra lenses, filters, and lots of film. We deposited our suitcases at my dad's friend's house, and away we went with our backpacks. We were in for lots of new experiences, to say the least. Growing up in a small suburban area in the Bay Area, we had no idea what life was like in a big city, let alone an international city like London. We woke up the first morning to the sound of traffic and looked out our little window to see the big black taxis that they called cabs, the red double-decker buses going by, and rows of old brick buildings across the street. It was just like what we had seen in the Beatles movie, A Hard Day's Night. 
What we didn't expect to see was the dirty streets, scattered with litter everywhere. The most shocking sight was a homeless man sleeping on a piece of cardboard in front of a shop. People were bustling back and forth, right by him, dressed in suits and ties on their way to work, and didn't seem to notice him. This was the first photograph I took in London. To start our day, we had to figure out how to wash up using the antique sink with two faucet handles for hot and cold water. There were no showers in this old building, something else we would have to get accustomed to in Europe. We went down the carpeted stairway to the breakfast room and had our first black tea and white toast for breakfast. We weren't quite sure we liked the strong tea in a metal teapot or the bitter orange marmalade. Since I had been into health foods, I preferred whole wheat bread and herbal teas, so this was new for me. At least we could somewhat understand the British English, so it was good that we started our big trip in England. We were able to follow the instructions people gave us and find our way around, even though we had never been on undergrounds before. I still remember the smell down there and how hot it was. Teresa and I discovered after a few days that when we brushed our hair, our white brush would turn gray from the soot in the air, I guess either from the underground or because people burned coal in their heaters that polluted the air. Another adventure was taking the train to the town of Ashby de la Zouch to visit my pin pal, Irene. We had been exchanging letters since the third grade. It was interesting being in her home and meeting her parents, but I don't remember what we talked about. As far as the music scene, I think we went to a rock festival in Bath, but we were really excited to find out that later in the summer there would be a big festival on the Isle of Wight. That was an event that we sure didn't want to miss. It was scheduled for August 26th with a huge lineup of the famous bands. Our next stop was Paris. When we arrived at the train station, we were hit with culture shock. Trying to understand the underground in French was much more difficult than in London. The youth hostel listed in our travel booklet was in some obscure area of the city. It was a large hall rather than rooms with rows of beds like army barracks. The breakfast was meager with coffee and white bread. As young girls, we didn't at all feel safe there. Finding our way the next day to the Eiffel Tower in the Louvre was a bit scary because there seemed that there was always some weird guys following us. After years of hearing about this famous art museum, it was a bit surreal to be actually walking through the corridors and viewing so many old paintings. Of course, I took lots of slides of my favorite Renoir paintings, but most of the famous landmarks like the Notre Dame and the beautiful bridges over the River Seine looked dirty. The city wasn't so romantic looking like I had imagined it. We only stayed a couple of days in Paris, and we were glad to leave and made our way to Frankfurt, where my friend Grant was stationed in the army. Even though we didn't speak German, we felt more comfortable once we arrived in Frankfurt. We had a nice visit with him, where he rented a room in a private home. He showed us around the city and told us about another rock festival, this one featuring Pink Floyd, that would be in a town called Aachen on the weekend of July 12th. That was going to be groovy, so we hopped on a train in Frankfurt and we were thankful that we had our practical prepaid Euro passes. 
This festival turned out to be an adventure in more ways than one. First, my sister's Moroccan fringed bag was stolen. At the lost and found office, her travel checks and passport had been handed in, which was a huge relief, but sadly the bag was gone. The cool thing was we met some friendly German high school boys who helped us with that situation. They were the first locals that we met on our travels, which was a highlight of our trip so far. They raved about how cool their hometown West Berlin was and encouraged us to come and visit. The main attraction in Berlin was an upcoming concert on July 19th with the band Led Zeppelin. My sister and I told them we wouldn't have time because we were traveling to Amsterdam next. Little did we know we would end up changing our plans. On arriving in Amsterdam, we were able to find a quaint little bed and breakfast house. In the morning, I took a picture looking out through the pretty lace curtain windows. Our main goal as tourists was to visit the home where Anna Frank and her family had hidden during the war. We both had read her diary as a school project, so this was really intriguing to be able to walk through that house. As usual, with a camera around my neck, we went out for a walk through the town. There were some pretty scenes with the sunset over the canals, where lots of old bicycles leaned up against the rails of the bridges. So many new impressions to take in there. One evening, we went to a performance of the city's modern dance company. We were looking forward to this, but were shocked and embarrassed to see the dancers were naked. This was our first exposure to the European mentality in this area. Even though we came from California, where free love and sex was being promoted in the hippie scene, this was definitely still a subculture thing. We tried to pretend that we were cool with this, because the rest of the audience seemed to be. After a couple of days, we started toying with the idea of going to West Berlin. A lady at a travel bureau told us we would need to fly to Berlin because it was a walled-in city surrounded by East Germany. As young, naive Americans, we had no idea about that, but we just spontaneously booked a flight and headed out to the Amsterdam airport. The flight costs were worth it if it meant we could see our favorite band in a German city. On arriving at Tempelhof Airport, we took a bus into town and found a youth hostel in the city center. We hurried to get dressed up in all our new hippie clothes that we had bought in Piccadilly Circus in London. We both had found knee-high boots, which were quite the mod fashion. Mine were white leather lace-up boots, and my sister found patchwork-style boots. She wore her fringed suede jacket with bell-bottoms, and I wore an antique blouse and a long flowered skirt. We only had the name of the concert center, Deutschlandhalle, and we were glad that we found some young people that could speak English. They showed us where to get the right bus. You could imagine how excited we were to find our way there and then follow the crowd up to the ticket office. We had never been to such a large venue for a rock concert. In San Francisco, the Fillmore Hall was quite small, and otherwise the bands played at outdoor events. It was unusual to find ourselves among thousands of German-speaking teenagers. A lot of the guys had long hair and wore green army jackets, which was a different style than we had seen so far. My sister and I loved the concert and hearing all of our favorite Led Zeppelin songs. We thought it was impressive that the young Germans knew all the songs. Standing up front with some other photographers, I had so much fun taking pictures of Jimmy Page, the lead guitarist, and the exotic singer Robert Plant. After the concert was over, we hung around the stage for a while, and to our surprise, the three boys we had met in Aachen walked up to us. We were amazed to meet them again in such a large crowd. 
They were, of course, happy that we had taken their advice to come to West Berlin. They insisted on taking us to the pub where they hung out with their friends. So off we went on the bus with them. But it seemed odd to us that they didn't have a car. Then they explained that in Germany, you have to be 18 to get a driver's license. I was 19 by then and had already been driving since I was 16. Plus, I had my own car. They were quite impressed about that and wanted to know more about life in California. After a long bus ride, we arrived at a small restaurant or kneipe called Dr. Knock in the area where they lived. I believe it is called Steglitz. By then, it was probably around 10 at night, and the place was full with their school friends playing kicker game tables. As young Americans, we weren't used to seeing teenagers drinking beer since this was against the law in America. Also, it was unusual to see how many kids were smoking and how they rolled their own cigarettes. We had only seen hippies rolling their marijuana cigarettes in San Francisco. The main spokesman of our new German friends was a guy with long blonde hair named Peter. He introduced my sister and I to his friends. I think we were quite the attraction for the evening, being the American girls. Because they had English in school, most of them were pretty fluent, which was nice for us. We sat down at a table to have some pizza with a friend of his named Thomas. He had long, dark, curly hair with a headband on and really dark brown eyes. His English was particularly good, and he used American slang words. He told us that he was a musician and played the trumpet in a dance band for parties at the American army base called McNair. We had no idea there was an American army in Berlin, which shows how much we knew about German history. We got in a conversation about how terrible the Vietnam War was, and the boys told us they had participated in the protest marches that took place in Berlin. Thomas said he would never go to America because of their war policies. I didn't know much about the war, but did agree that it was wrong. Actually, two of my friend's boyfriends were drafted into the army and had already been in Vietnam. Fortunately, the conversation changed to things my sister and I knew about. We told them about the music scene in San Francisco and all of the bands I had photographed there. They thought it was cool that I had a dark room, and Thomas said he had a friend with a dark room that had been taking pictures of him. Then somehow we got on the subject that I did yoga and meditation and that I was a vegetarian. This was Thomas's opportunity to tell me about his grandmother. She was a vegetarian, and not only did she practice yoga, but she also went to a Buddhist temple in Berlin. I had never met a family or older people that had an interest in these practices since I was mainly around Christians. I assumed that he must be interested in spiritual things and was fascinated to find we had this connection. It was really late by the time we left the pub, but before we could leave, Peter came up with the idea of having us over to his house for breakfast the next day. It must have been on a Saturday morning, considering that they were all high school students. The next morning, we were looking forward to going to Peter's home for breakfast. He met us at the bus stop in the area and took us to his family's house. It was a residential area with older homes and large trees lining the street. It was fun getting to meet a real German family, and his nice mom was busy in the kitchen preparing the breakfast. Two or three of Peter's friends came, including Thomas. I was pleased to see him again and was looking forward to asking him more questions about his grandmother. The breakfast was typically German, with white rolls that they called schrippen on soft-boiled eggs served in little plastic-colored cups. 
We watched other boys cut the top of the egg off and put butter and salt in it and ate it with a plastic spoon. <laughs> My sister and I had never seen eggs served this way, so we tried to copy their example. They put either cheese, salami, or chocolate spread called Nutella on the rolls. We thought this was odd, having chocolate on the bread. It was cozy eating in their living room at the coffee table. At our house in California, we were used to eating as a family at the table in the kitchen. I spent most of the morning talking with Thomas. I didn't realize at the time that he was just trying to impress me with the stories about his grandmother's spirituality and that his mother practiced astrology. She had been a dancer and his father was a composer when they met working at a theater in East Berlin called Friedrichstadtspalast. His family had a compelling story. He was definitely getting my attention. Before we left, Thomas jotted down his telephone number for us, just in case we might want to meet up again. After that, we did some sightseeing, and the last day before we were going to leave, Peter let us know that Thomas wanted to see us again. He suggested we all meet downtown at a club called the Go Inn, where there was live music. It was a small, dark place, lit only with candles spread out in the room with wooden tables and benches. The air was filled with various kinds of smoke, and it reminded me of a beatnik cafe I'd been to in San Francisco. Thomas told me that he had performed there with his guitar singing American folk songs like from Bob Dylan. It was an uneventful evening until Thomas reached out and took my hand. I liked that we were holding hands, but being shy, I only smiled and didn't say anything. Was this really going to be our final goodbye? I would be heading out on a plane to London the next day, and off we would go, back to our home in California. I will close here today. Hope you enjoyed listening to my Europe travels and what the unexpected turn of events brought into my life. Check out my pictures of those days on Instagram, and maybe you have someone that you would like to share this episode with. Bye for now.